John walked towards the outpost with its imposing gates that protected the colony district from the darkness area. The outpost was one of the only sources of light for about a mile. Here we go, he said under his breath as he saw a guard slowly approach him. Hey, slow down, soldier, the guard called out to the approaching John with one hand on the butt of his gun. John slowed and raised his hands to the sky. State your business, the guard continued. Ich bin ein Mann, der aus liegt in der Dunkelheit wander. John shouted to the guard. Come into the light, the man finally said. John walked slowly towards one of the light sources. The guard watched in amazement as the light illuminated John's face. Captain, the man called out, placing the gun back into his holster. Quite a pleasant surprise. John put his hands down and stretched it towards the guards. Likewise, Otwin. I am a man walking as light in darkness. Otwin said, wiping a bead of sweat from his forehead. It's been a while since someone used that code here. He paused. Actually, I take that back. Arnold Gord came by a week ago and has managed to stay in there for almost a week. Official business, I'm told. Same reason? You could say that, John responded, walking into the outpost. Most people just use one of the underground paths. We're not policing them much these days, Otwin continued. I see, John said, stepping out with a combat knife in a holster and a gas mask. Back in the game, it seems, Otwin said, walking towards the gates. My orders are to hold off sending the gas for the next two hours. You should also be aware they have not sent it out for the last three hours, and those darkies should be getting very antsy. Five hours, huh? I better be careful not to agitate them. If you do agitate them, my orders are to keep the gates closed until they're subdued. The boss doesn't want them beyond the walls, Artwin concluded, walking to a button on the side of the wall and pushing it. John waited as the large gate slid to the left, creating an opening large enough to walk through. Once on the other side, he turned as the large gate sealed close again. He took a deep breath and he turned to face the horror show his father had created. John stared at the acres of wildly grown shrubs that now characterized this previously buoyant neighborhood. Everything had a tint of grey. He stared up at the pipes that originated from the outpost and hovered menacingly above him. A supply line of anti-chaotic dreams, he thought to himself as he felt for his knife. Wouldn't it be nice to have a taste of it, he muttered, his mouth watering in anticipation. The sensation of being lost in himself began to make his heart race. Perhaps I can see her face again. He stopped. Stop thinking about it. Stop it. You're clean now. You're clean now, he muttered to himself. I don't need to be stuck here longer than I need to be. It is a test of my will, and I need to survive. John started making his way through the wilderness of civilization. 
The weeds had grown so wild, they had forced their way through the cracks of the paved roads. The pungent odor of death and decay was everywhere. A wisp of grey thick fog hovered just above the ground and patted with every step John took. Suddenly, there was an airy shriek that startled John. For a second, he missed his footing and stepped into a puddle of thick, gooey substance. Son of a bitch, he heard himself saying instinctively, a statement he soon regretted. A few feet from John, a darkie stepped out of the shadows and snapped his head in its direction. John stood transfixed, gripping his knife holster, thinking of ways to divert the attention of the carmine-coloured monster, whose eyes were focused like a laser in his direction. He moved his feet on the ground, hoping to find the loose earth beneath it. He felt something, bent down slowly and picked up a stone. He took a deep breath and then threw it towards a non-walking lamppost in the distance. The stone hit the lamppost with a metallic clink. The darkie turned its attention away from John and started to stumble towards the lamppost. It let out another shriek as it reached and began to claw and scratch at it. John slowly backed away, holding his breath as the darkie, who ricked of congealed feces and urea, attacked the lamppost with furious anger. A minute later, there was a loud clang, and the darkie fell to the floor with the lamppost on top of him. I guess the lamppost won. John said, turning around and walking briskly away from the scene. John ran the plan of the evening in his head. I am to meet Arno at the corner. He is to take me to the location of interest. I am to extract a person of interest, exit the darkness in two hours, be home for supper and relaxation. He smiled. His mind continued to drift. How did he even find a place? Why do I even wonder about this? It's, it's Arno. Do I really need to know how he does these things? John stopped in place and watched another darkie in the distance stumbling around perpendicular to his direction. After the darkie was sufficiently far away, John turned the corner and started walking to the meeting location. Suddenly, there was a loud rumble and one of the large pipes sprung to life. It caught the attention of the darkies who followed the sound shrieking. John backed himself against the wall and waited for them to follow the sound from the pipes into the distance. I guess it's time for their food, he thought. Staring at the centralized pipeline that brought food into the darkness. The pipeline was also used for distraction by drawing them away from the gates and deeper into the darkness. Before the war, this area was prime estate. During the war, the mindset changed. The darkness started off as an experiment by John's father, Major General Ulrich Reckenau, as a way to deal with the deserters of the war. After the war, it morphed into a place to throw those who disagreed with him, a place of dread for his enemies. Then it morphed into a testing ground for the experimentation of the drug Truxy. After experiencing the violent effects of the drugs, the General Reichenau 
decided to seal the location and keep them behind the wall till they died out. Mike was meant to make sure they died out. Then he started filling the darkness with enemies. He kept it from me until the death of General Wilhelm Groner. John shifted uncomfortably. When I confronted him, I realized my ignorance. This place was meant to be almost clean, but all the while, he had been filling it up with people he felt too guilty to kill. People whose death he did not want to feel guilty about. John continued walking towards his destination. Then I confronted him in his office and he lashed out at me. It was a war of words for the ages. In that moment, I realized, despite my hopes, Mike had become exactly like my father. Such of makes perfect sense. John reached a crossroad and stared at a rusty sign that read Kreuzberg Strasse. All the talk my dad had about creating an ideal world has given way to the decay of today. He stared at the rubble and chaos in the distance and the corpses of a few darkies degenerating and becoming one with nature. Is this the nature of all men? People with great ambitions and dreams, foiled by their inability to deal with the criticisms of said dream. A certain innate desire to be greedy so as to achieve one's ambitions. How could they have let their dreams of an idealistic world degenerate into decay and depression? If I had to choose between this and the heavily choreographed world that people like Melissa Fight lead, I think my decision to be here speaks for itself. Well, there's a lot to be admired about the city district. The amount of control exerted is incredible. People are victim to a police state because of the war. The government does not want another war, so they monitor everyone, waiting for any sense of disloyalty, then they pounce. You always have to be on your best behavior, otherwise you'll be tagged suspicious. Then they put the talking heads like Melissa fight in charge to make the citizenry feel good. She's loving, she's caring, they emphasize. She's here to maintain law and order. Is law and order enough to justify a lack of freedom? It took me 10 years of living there to realize that I needed to get out. Well, I knew sooner than that. And I couldn't stand the guilt of coming back here. Then Mara disappeared. And I lost it. John felt an itch in his right arm, so he rolled up his sleeve. The injection point was still a bit irritated, but the area around it was black. I'm getting there. You're late! The silky voice of Arno called out from behind him. John spun around to see the tall, lanky figure of Arno Gord standing beside him. When did you get here? John asked, unable to mask his surprise. I've been here long enough to hear your mutterings and observe that, Arno continued, pointing at John's arm. How long have you been off the Troxy? More than a week now, John responded. I see, Arno continued. Good to see you, brother Arno, John said, holding his arm out. Arno walked into his embrace and they hugged each other for a second. 
Good to see you, Brother John, Arno continued, backing out of the embrace. I am at least glad Mike kept to his senses and avoided sending Antonio. This may be home for him, but it would already be in chaos. Like I always say, better your wild thoughts than those of crazy Antonio. You always said that? John asked, raising his eyebrow in disbelief. Oh, for fuck's sake, he exclaimed, looking away in embarrassment after seeing Arno's cheeky green. The place is not too far. I'll lead you there, but after that, you're on your own, Arno finally said. As Arno led the way to the point of interest, John leaned in and whispered in his ear. So how did you do it? Arno turned around a little confused then smiled in realization. Oh, that. The Neuhoff offensive. You basically changed the course of the war with that one, and I'm still confused. How did you do it? No one in their right mind wanted to take that job on. General Neuhoff was the top planner in the opposition, and all we knew was that he was going to be in the Cologne district. Everybody knew that capturing him was out of the question. He was guarded, around the clock. Suddenly you volunteer and you made a request to be arranged with the best hairdresser and groomer in Engelstadt. Two days later, you arrive in a pink frock, thigh-length socks and General Michael Newoff slung across your shoulder. I am almost scared to ask what you did, but my curiosity won't let it go. Magic tricks are bland games, once you realize their inner workings, Arno responded, stopping and staring at a building in the distance. Perhaps I can interest you in one more magic trick, John interjected. Arno turned to him, a curiosity written on his face. Go on. Mara, John said quickly. How is she doing these days? I couldn't tell you. John responded. Ah, uh, does she not want to be found? She disappeared. Poof. Almost from the face of the earth. I see. Let's stay focused on this task at hand and then maybe I can make another magic trick happen, Anna responded with a smile. No guarantees. Of course, John nodded. So what do you think about that building? Anno asked, staring at the unremarkable building in the distance. Nothing particularly stands out to me, John responded, looking at Anno with a look of confusion. About an hour ago, a stunningly beautiful woman and a foul-mouthed orangutan got into the street, walked all the way to that safe house, went through one of the tunnels they built, got into a Volvo S60 on the other side and headed towards the colony district. They seemed to be in a hurry. Keeping that in mind, I want you to take a look at that building and tell me what you see. John nodded and stared at the building again. After about a minute, he turned to Arno. Those doors are definitely out of place. They look like huge barricades. Some of the windows on the upper floor seem like they're lined with aluminium. It seems like like a place where you would want to restrict who comes in. Exactly. 
What better place to plan against Mike than somewhere they're sure he will never check? Anonymity by obscurity. John nodded, then stared at the building. How many do you reckon? They're usually light, no more than four or five. I do think she has a larger force embedded in the colony district waiting on the opportunity to strike. What sort of opportunity? John looked confused. Who knows? From what I've been able to gather, she is very relentless. How do I get in? John asked, staring at the building. Well, Brother John, this is where my role ends and yours begins. Are you going to be able to handle it on your own? It's like riding a bicycle. I'll get the feel of it once I get back on the saddle, John responded with a smile. Is it now? I feel you just said that because you know I don't know how to ride a bicycle, Anna responded with a cheeky grin. All your spine skills, and you still have no idea how to ride a bicycle. Don't you see the irony in that? It's the center of balance thing that creeps me out. Besides, I'm too busy saving your sorry asses like I did in the war. John snickered and turned to the building. Oh, wait. I think one of them is coming out for a smoke, he muttered, turning back to Arno. Oh, fuck it. The bastard disappeared again. The man who stepped out of the building surveyed the area. Then he reached into his pocket and pulled out a packet of cigarettes. Damn it, Arno. You're one son of a bitch. You make my life too easy, John muttered as he crouched and began to make his way towards the man. The man spun the wheels of the lighter, but no flame came out. He spun it again, a look of incredulity written across his face. The man banged on the lighter, then tried again. A few sparks flew out, but not enough to start the fire. The man turned the lighter around, adjusted a knob on the top, and tried again. Finally, the bright orange glow of fire appeared. A look of relief appeared on the man's face as he took a long drag of the cigarette. He closed his eyes as the sense of satisfaction enveloped him. He had missed this feeling, since he could only come out when the darkies went to feed. He took another drag and opened his eyes. John was standing in front of him, and before he could say anything, John pushed the knife into the man's throat. The man stumbled back, gurgling as the knife was pulled out. The smoke he had just inhaled came out from the opening the knife had made. The man clasped his neck, trying to stem the blood gushing. But in time, he slumped to the floor, lifeless. Just like riding a bicycle, John muttered. The door swung open again, and another man obliviously stepped into the stench and decay of the night. Hey, Mickey boy, do you? He stopped short. When he saw John towering over his deceased partner, his jaw dropped. Then his hands fumbled into his jacket. John lunged at the man before he could get the weapon out. He pushed him against the open metal door, pinned him there with his knee, and punched him in the jaw. 
Then he placed a hand over the man's mouth and began to stab him continuously in the sides. The man let out muffled screams of anguish with each stab. Shh! 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 John repeated into the dying man's ear. It's going to be over soon, John muttered as the man drew his last breath. Someone left the door unlocked. I need it shot right now, a voice called from the top floor. Don't make me come there and do your jobs again. How many times do I have to say, keep the door shut? It's a fucking security risk. John reached for his knife and hid behind the staircase. The man appeared from the top of the staircase and proceeded down the flight of stairs. Then he stopped in his tracks when he saw the bodies bleeding in front of him. As the man stood in shock, John emerged from behind the staircase. The man swung around and reached for his weapon and pointed it at John, his hand shaking violently. Who are you? How did you get in? Antonio? John started walking cautiously towards him. Stay where you are. Stay where you are, the man said in a shaking voice. Listen, kid. There are a number of ways this scenario will end up playing. You pull that trigger, and within minutes, this safe house will be swarmed with darkies. Another scenario is you put the gun down and we negotiate. In the second scenario, you won't end up bleeding like your friends here. If you do pull that trigger, I will cut you just enough to keep you alive, and I will enjoy the sounds of anguish as you're devoured alive. Either way, I walk out of here with Casper. In my personal opinion, I have lost my appetite tonight for killing. But don't get me wrong. I won't hesitate to put this knife in your throat if you fail to comply. Nod if you want to live. The man nodded vigorously. Do exactly what I say and everything will be just fine. Do you understand? The man nodded again. Place the gun on the floor and kick it in my direction. Then I want you to clasp your hand behind your head and get on your knees, John commanded. The man complied and John walked up to him, holding out his bloodied knife as a warning. I'm glad we could reach a mutually beneficial outcome. John searched the man for any more weapons and when he was satisfied, pulled him to his feet by his collar. What is your name? Heinrich Yeltz, the man answered reluctantly. Heinrich, how many of you are left in here? I'm the last one, Heinrich responded, shifting his knee as the blood began to sip into the sims of his pants. Heinrich, 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 John said, looking up the staircase for anything suspicious. How can we work together if your answer to every other question is a lie? I swear, I'm the last one here, Heinrich responded forcefully. I guess we'll just have to find out the hard way. Now take me to Casper. Heinrich got to his feet and headed up the staircase. John followed closely behind him, maintaining a safe distance. As they continued up the staircase... 
in the eerily quiet building, John began to realize that a Heinrich statement was most likely true. Heinrich reached the door on the top floor and pushed it open. How can there be just three guys here to keep Casper? Something doesn't seem right. Did Casper turn on John? He's in here, Heinrich said. Who are you talking to? Casper called out from behind the door. John stepped into the room with a look of incredulity written on his face. Get on your knees, Heinrich, and stay there. Heinrich complied. Casper stared in disbelief at the figure of John. John, but what are you doing here? I should be asking you the same thing, Casper. What do you mean? Casper asked, puzzled. You seem awfully chummy with our boy Heinrich over here, John continued, pointing the blade at Heinrich. That is a very strong accusation, John. Be careful where you go with that, Casper responded with a face of icy steel. There are three guys, Casper. Three guys separating you from freedom. You could have taken them out. Why on earth would you be playing prisoner in this game? The answer to that is simple. Everything else is complicated, Casper responded. They have eyes on Navina all the time. If I tried to escape, they would grab her and send me a piece of her every day till I complied, Casper responded. There's only three of them, John retorted. Remember when I said things got complicated after that? Now I'm going to say this quickly, and I need you to believe me. Did Mike go to the Grand City Hotel tonight? Yes, John answered reluctantly. Then you need to listen to me carefully. Julius and Matthias Rogner set him up. She's on her way to him now. She? Who is she? Aloysia Groner, Caspar responded. Impossible. She's dead, John responded in disbelief. Listen to me, John. She's like Antonio. She's resistant to the Truxy. She's fucking smart. She's a fucking smart Antonio. John stared around the room in disbelief. Are you, are you fucking with me? If you act now, there's a chance you can still save Mike, Casper continued. John thought for a few seconds. What do I do? Get in touch with the hassle now, Casper continued. John reached into his pocket and pulled out his phone. He found hassle on his contact list and called. The phone rang for a few seconds. Then Hassel's panicked voice came from the other side. John, is that you? Tell me you have Casper, Hassel said, panting from the other side. Yes. Yes. What, what the fuck is going on? It's some crazed bitch. Came in this evening with some code, saying she needs to speak to the Dragon Baron. I tell my boys to hold her in a room while I check on the whereabouts of Madame Kleiber. When I get back, two of my men were dead and the elevator is stuck on the top floor. John's heart skipped a beat. What code? 
Something about a fox and a hare kissing each other. Good night, Hasso responded as he bounded up the staircase. Vosik fuchs unter se gute Nacht sagen, John continued. Yeah, that's the code word. How did you know? That is the code they gave her father whenever they wanted to destroy everything. Listen to me, Hasso. She's like Antonio. I need you to take her out even before she makes a move. Don't think about anything. Go into the room, shoot her in the head. Do you understand? Oh, my God. Hasso said from the other side. She put her body in the elevator to stop it going down. Wait! Wait! I can hear them talking. Did she just say... I want them to know their father died like a dog. Get in there now, Hasso, John yelled. There was a silence for a brief second as they heard Hasso sprinting through the penthouse. They heard the door swing open, then the sound of a gun going off, then Hasso's voice. What have you done, bitch? John turned to Casper, a hint of hope in his eyes. Silence. I killed a dragon baron, motherfucker. The sound of a gun, then the line cut off. John slumped to the floor in disbelief. As he did, the gun he recovered from Heinrich slipped from his pocket onto the floor. Casper reached for it and immediately checked for the bullets. I failed him. John said, his eyes tearing up. I did not see it coming. John continued, shaking his head in disbelief. Now is not the time, John. Get on your feet, soldier, Casper said, turning his gaze to Heinrich, who was retreating slowly towards a metal box. She did it, Heinrich kept saying as he crawled towards it. Hold it, Heinrich, Casper said, pointing the gun at him. Whoa! Casper! What are you doing? You pull that trigger and you know what happens, John said with a look of alarm on his face. I have to keep my side of the bargain, Heinrich said, dragging himself on the floor. I will pull the trigger, Heinrich. Heinrich kept crawling towards the metal box. John looked at the metal box and saw an unlit red light bulb. John, listen to me very carefully. Aloysia has men stationed all around the colony district. Some are ready to attack the homes of the Dragon Baron, Navina, the kids. It's going to be a massacre. Heinrich is meant to be the one to relay the message to them. Once Aloysia gets out safely, she pushes a button. The red light goes on, he pushes his button, and they wipe out everyone we love. Vosik Fuchs and Hase Gutenacht Sagan, John muttered. Her father's call card. Exactly, Casper said, gripping the butt of his gun tight. Then let me just slit his throat, John said, getting to his feet. You can't, Casper said. He's like Antonio. But he let me, John pondered, looking confused. He was toying with you. He does that a lot. Casper said, staring at Heinrich. 
You know I'm a sure shot. You won't have the time. Then we all sign our death warrants. Heinrich responded with a cheeky grin. Silence. There was a buzz and the light turned red. Heinrich lunged for the button. Casper pulled the trigger. The bullet passed through Heinrich's head. His hand missed the button. Then silence. John was on his feet, looking around anxiously. Do you think they heard it? Silence. There was a guttural scream in the distance. Run! John reached the entrance of the room first and badged through it with his shoulder. Caspar was behind him as they bounded down the staircase. John made a dash for the entrance and just as he reached it, a dark ear appeared from the corner and swiped at him, tearing through his skin with its long, fungi-infested dark nails. John stumbled forward and almost fell to the floor, holding his arm as he started to bleed. The darky turned to him, but Casper barged into it and forced it onto the ground. John jumped to his feet, started down the road he had come. Casper was close behind. There's an underground tunnel in one of the buildings, he yelled as he sprinted towards the building in the distance. Out from the tall hedges and wild forests, tens of crimson red-eyed darkies appeared. Their eyes lit bright red because they hungered for food. One of the darkies got on all fours and started running towards them like a dog, its eyes shimmering red as it leapt into the air and landed on John's back. For a second, John saw the moment of his death. He closed his eyes as the sharp teeth descended towards his neck. There was a loud bang and the darkie was thrown off forcefully by the force of a bullet. Casper ran towards John and grabbed him by the collar. Fuck! 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 John screamed as the tens of eyes became hundreds of eyes in the distance. As they got close, Casper fired at them, pushing some of the closer ones back into the distance. Stop fucking shooting at them! You're giving away our position! John screamed. They already know our position! Casper yelled back, taking another shot as another darkie leapt into the air, inbound for him. John kept scanning the area, trying to find a safe house. It seemed hopeless. Suddenly, in the distance, he could make out the figure of someone in the doorway. I know, he said under his breath. There! He screamed to Casper, who turned to see where he was headed. They headed towards the building. As they approached the smiling shadow. They heard him say, Now, here comes the fireworks. Arno pushed a button, and a large orange ball of fire erupted into the distance. For a second, everything stopped. The darkies turned around to see the flame, and Arno smiled as his crafty diversion bought them some time. Get in, get in, he finally said. That won't hold them forever. Just as he said so, a darkie jumped from the roof of the building and took a swipe at them. Its nails tore through Casper's shirt and cut a deep scratch into his chest. Arno reached out for a stick on the wall and side-slapped the darkie who stumbled back in pain. The darkie let out a shriek and the race was on again. 
The blood red eyed pack turned their gaze towards the escaping men as they shut the door. They can scratch the foundations of this building out in minutes, so let's get a move on now, Arno screamed. He ran to a button and pushed it. A trap door in the ground swung open. Get in! Arno commanded as one of the darkies turned to the wall and tried to push himself through it. John and Casper jumped into the trap door and a few seconds later, so did Arno. They started running through the narrow escape. They turned a corner and Arno pushed another button and the entrance to the tunnel sealed shut. After a few minutes of running, the three men slowed down to catch their breath. Arno and Casper stared at each other, then burst into a fit of laughter. What the fuck happened there? Arno asked finally. The smile disappeared. Mike's dead, Casper said in a solemn tone. What are you talking about? Arno asked, shaking his head in disbelief. Casper leaned into Arno's hair and in a hushed tone explained the incident. Fuck, Arno said after listening to the series of events. What are we going to do? I suggest we go hunt some Ragnar motherfuckers. What say you, Dragon Baron? Arno said, staring at John. John stood up and looked at Casper, who had a look of resignation on his face. I always knew you would be Dragon Baron one day, Arno continued, smiling at John. I'm just hired help, Arno. I'm here for slitting necks and magic tricks, John finally said. What say you, Dragon Baron? Casper looked genuinely surprised. Why, yes, just as you said, Casper finally responded. You heard the boss, John continued. I know what we're going to do. We're going up those hills and we're tearing the Rogner brothers a new asshole. Then I'm going to make that bitch pay. 